All right, just a couple verses to read this morning before Pastor Nick preaches. You are the light of the world. Can you, I'm sorry, can everybody stand? I apologize. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you. Thanks, Mike. That was very, very nice. My goodness. So, uh, this morning, uh, would you join me in just praying that God would plant a kind of a seed in our hearts together here this morning that would grow? I think that was my prayer during worship today. All right? All right. So, today we are beginning a new series that we're calling A Visible Kingdom. And this series is all about, hopefully, uh, capturing a biblical vision of the church And really, I think there is no more important time to capture a biblical vision of the church than in the time that we are in right now. You know, one of the concerns many people have had over the last number of months of social distancing in the era of COVID is about how people maintain a sense of community in the midst of what, for many of us, we experience as a kind of social isolation. We're kind of by ourselves a little bit. And that turns out to be really difficult, right? maintaining connection in the midst of this time. I know that every person, every person in this room and every person not in this room, uh, deals with these issues differently and puts different emphases on social distancing and those types of things. This is not a kind of political statement about how individuals should be living during this time. The series is not. I think each person should make their own decision uh, based on a, a different set of factors that every, per, that every person encounters in their life. What I'm making here this morning is a simple observation, right? An observation about what is occurring in our culture and how it might be affecting our view of the church. My primary concern is uh, that this pandemic has simply sped up a kind of breakdown in relationship that that had been occurring and has been occurring in our society for a number of decades now. The truth is... uh, our culture was tending towards isolation to begin with. Video games, social media, and an excessive amount of television watching, along with the breakdown of many of our institutions and clubs that used to bring us together, is leading us down the path of aloneness. It's leading us to become a more isolated people. But COVID, I think, has heightened and intensified what was already taking place. Robert Putnam is a political scientist who, uh, at least at the time of the writing of his book, was teaching at Harvard University. And in his book, which is called Bowling Alone, as in rolling a ball down uh, down an alley and hitting some pins, he talks about the weakening fabric of American society. And he illustrates this by talking about how Uh, the number of bowling leagues and bridge clubs and civic organizations has been on the decline for a number of years. He talks about all of the ways that our society has grown more isolated and by so doing has grown less connected. 
And interestingly, he talks about how the weakening social connections in our civic society has led us to greater levels of polarization and disagreement, which is not shocking, is it, that a lack of connection would lead to a kind of temperature rise in our polarization, which is what we are kind of seeing right now, right? Three weeks out from the election. But here's the point. Here's the point this morning. The church of Jesus Christ is called to be the antidote to our culture's slide towards isolation. I really believe this. The Bible clearly tells us that the world, uh, that the world is in the midst of a kind of pandemic of aloneness, of relational struggle. This is just the common state of human beings. And the people of God are called to be a living example of what human relationships, human community can be at its best. I really think this. You, you can think of it like the, the church is meant to be this little outpost of the kingdom of heaven in the midst of the kingdom of the world, pointing with our lives and with the way we love one another towards the reality that God wants all human beings to live into. This is, I think, what the church is. We're called to make visible the kingdom of God on earth. But here's the problem. There, there turns out to be a problem there. And this is not just a problem in our time that we're dealing with. This problem has occurred throughout all of the history of the church. Too often throughout history, the church as an institution has been co-opted by cultural forces of its day and has sold its birthright as the people of God in a a sense. You see, in every generation, there is some type of temptation to make the church look more like the kingdom of the world than like the kingdom of of God. This is a constant pull. It's a constant temptation for the church. And in our time, do you know what I think the greatest temptation, the greatest compromise that is tempting the church is? You can say no, because I can hear you today. There you go. It may not be what you think. It may not be what you've heard other pastors actually say. It's not the usual stuff you hear preached from the pulpit. I think the greatest compromise tempting the church in our day is consumerism. It's consumerism. It's not, I don't think it's doctrine, I don't think it's a doctrinal difference. I don't think it's anything. I think it is consumerism. Here's the thing. We treat church like a product to consume rather than a people to belong to. Inherently, this is what we do. And we have overly individualized what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Now, I was trying to think of an analogy to help us get our heads around uh, this kind of consumer culture, to really understand the ways in which we view church naturally because of the culture we all live in uh, inappropriately. And the analogy that I came up with is that many of us, and I think this is, this is not an indictment of any of us, I just think it's the cultural assumptions that we all come into uh, our lives with, many of us think of church kind of like a spiritual gym, right? Uh, now, a gym is a place that you go to work out. They may have some equipment there that you don't have at home, right? They, they may have a trainer that will help you use that equipment in the proper way, They may even give you some tips on better eating habits or proper stretching techniques before you attempt the hang clean, which I've never attempted in my life. And at the gym, you may even make a few friends that will spot you, right, when the weight gets heavy. And you might even like those people a little bit. Maybe those, like I said, maybe those people help you along the path of fitness, right? 
But ultimately, the gym's purpose is that it's there for you, right? It's there so that you get stronger or drop a few pounds and have what you want in life. Ultimately, you consume the products and services that the gym has to offer in order to make you stronger, right? This is what the gym is there for. And many of us, because of the influence of our, commu- uh, our consumer culture, kind of view church like that, I think. It's a default that's in, it's, that's in all of us. We come to church because we know it's a good thing to do. That's why we do it, right? But ultimately, we do it because we view it as a kind of spiritual gym, a place I can go get a little, uh, get a little bit better here or a little bit more, more moral over here, right? It's a place I go uh, to be encouraged and uplifted, right? You hear that come from the pulpit. I say that, right? It's, I hope you were encouraged and uplifted today. Now get out of here, right? It's a place I go to make myself feel good, hopefully, right? You don't leave feeling negatively most days when you leave church. And the pastor, well, he's kind of like a trainer that helps me get my macros in or shows me the best way to grow my biceps. And if you need any tips on that afterwards, clearly I'm the guy to come to and talk to. Or he gives me all the, in, or he gives me all the latest information on intermittent fasting, right? Or in our case, just fasting. You just, just got to fast. And you may and we may even have some relationships at church, right? The church may have helped us through a difficult time, and we're thankful for those people. But ultimately, because of the culture we live in, in the back of our minds, we just come with this assumption that, uh, that the church is there to consume. It's, it's functionally for our benefit. Now, this is, like I said, not an indictment of any of us. Rather, I think this is just the great temptation of our time. It's the thing we all have to fight. All of us are, fe- are affected by this cultural pull towards cons- consuming spiritual content rather than belonging to the community of Jesus. This is what we're all tempted by. But here's the thing. When the church acquiesces to the culture and starts consuming rather than becoming a place of consumption rather than a place of belonging, we actually do our neighbors and our world a kind of disservice. Because we are not living as the type of church that offers the world an alternative to the way that they are living, right? The church should be a kind of alternative to the loneliness, to the slide towards loneliness that our current culture is in. We are instead showing the people just a slightly jazzed up version of what they already have at their local yoga studio, right? if we just kind of take on the cultural assumptions of our day. You see, when the church does not live into its call to be a true, authentic community of belonging centered around the person of Jesus, people will naturally go other places to find that belonging because they don't find anything in the church that is particularly significant or good. This is why I think lots of people, lots of people have abandoned the church for pseudo-communities that offer connection and acceptance other places. I'm sure you know of people in your own life who maybe had some connection with the church but just found a better substitute somewhere else, right? And have kind of backed off the church or uh, go very rarely or have kind of disentangled their personal relationships from the church because they've just found a better, they've found a better alternative. I was online last week, as I am too often, and I stumbled upon a quote from a comedian, 
And the headline of this quote read this, finding community outside the church after coming out. And this is what the individual said. He said, I have found the community that I've been looking for, I think, in the gay community. And they stand for what the church used to stand for for me. And church has now become a dance floor, a warehouse party, or a game night, just getting together with my community. You can hear it there, can't you? This deep longing for connection and community that resides deeply within all of us, and specifically this person. And I can't help but think when I read that, when I read that quote, that the church has in some way let that person down along the line. Because they were not able to offer a kind of living picture of what true community actually looks like in the kingdom of God. Because if the church that this person had been in contact with had been doing that, well, then they wouldn't have needed to go looking for a substitute community, would they? And so here's what I think is at stake, everybody. If we exchange the biblical picture of what the church is meant to look like for a consumer-based approach, people will naturally go other places for, to find acceptance and belonging. They just will. But if we can recapture, I think, a biblical vision of what it means to be the people of God gathered around Jesus, where people are radically accepted and radically loved, where people are invited in no matter who they are or what they've done, when, they, uh, when we offer a community not based on hobbies, not based on affinities or preferences, but it's a community that is centered around the resurrected king of the universe and has its doors flung wide open to everyone. Well, I think when we offer that type of community, it is a really hard thing to deny. It's a really hard thing to walk away from. It's actually a kind of beautiful picture It's a beautiful picture of what human beings were meant to be in community, the type of relationships and love we were created to have as we center our lives around the person of Jesus. And here's the thing, when we embody that type of community, I believe it is the most powerful witness to the reality of the resurrected Lord there could possibly be. My verbal affirmation of the fact that Jesus has been resurrected from the dead, that he died for our sins, and that he has, and that he is coming again is one thing. But when I embody that reality in my life with other people in the church, it becomes almost undeniable. We put on display, in a sense, the truth of who Jesus is and what he's come to do. We become a community of saved people together. And that is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And I think this is what Jesus is talking about in our teaching text in Matthew 5 today. So we finally got to the Bible, all right? We're finally, uh, we're finally, going to, we're finally back in the Bible. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew 5 and, and we will talk about this. But here, uh, in this passage... Uh, that we're reading today in Matthew 5 is set within a section of Matthew's Gospels most people refer to as the Sermon on the Mount. Your Bible probably calls it that as well. This is Jesus' kingdom manifesto. It's his kingdom pronouncement of what it is he is doing and what this kingdom that he is ushering in looks like. And at this point in the story, Jesus has gathered a kind of ragtag group of disciples around himself. These are not 
fancy people. These are not important people. These are not the people that you would choose to hang out with if you had a choice, right? But he gathers this ragtag group of people around himself, and he sits down on the side of a mountain on the edge of the sea, and he begins to teach them all about this new kingdom that he is about to usher in, or that in his language has already arrived. And in verse 13 and 14, he he addresses these disciples directly. In verse 13, he begins to talk about how these disciples, these very disciples that sit before him, are the salt of the earth. That his disciples have a purpose, and they are called to serve the world through the way in which they are salty. And we're not going to get into that today, but it's great. And in verse 14, he says that they are the light of the world and a city on a hill. These are analogies we're familiar with. They get used all the time. But what Jesus is implying here is that his disciples, this community of people who have gathered around Jesus, are to be a people together as as a body, as a people, who witness to the truth of God's kingdom by virtue of their good deeds. Now, when we read this passage, we often read it through the lens of our individual lives. And the songs that go along with this passage remind us of that. The songs that I grew up singing in Sunday school were, were hide it under a bush. I'm going to sing it because it's not on video. I'm going to let it shine, right? It was all about my private personal light and the responsibility I have to show it out into the world. Now, obviously, this is true, right? We have a responsibility with our lives to shine out into the world. Uh, But part of the problem with reading this passage is that when we read this passage is that this passage isn't talking just to individuals. And the reason we we can misunderstand that so often is that English does not have a first-person plural pronoun. At least here, we don't have one. When Jesus says you here, he is not using the first-person singular pronoun you that we think of. He is using the first-person plural pronoun So it should read something like this. I think we have it on the screen. You all are the light of the world. Y'all are the light of the world. You see, our lack of a plural in our kind of common Midwestern uh, English leads us to a kind of uh, individualistic misinterpretation of these passages and honestly much of Jesus' teaching and much of the teaching of the New Testament. And we know all of the, and, and here's why we know this for sure, it's that it's not just like a kind of mistranslation, and it's not a mistranslation, but a misunderstanding of a translation of the Bible. The reason we know that this specifically applies not to necessarily to individuals, but to groups, is that Jesus did not come up with this image of a, of a light and a city on a hill all on his own. He's actually quoting the prophet Isaiah here. He's referring back to the Old Testament in a prophecy that Isaiah gave in Isaiah chapter 2. And I have it here for you. I'm going to read it. Isaiah chapter 2, beginning in verse 2, says this. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and all the nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we will walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. 
They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not come up, uh, will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. So, Jesus is quoting this passage here. Most of his audience would have been familiar with it. This was a very, very well-known prophecy of Isaiah in Jesus' time. So what is Jesus trying to communicate to his disciples by quoting this passage and telling them that they are the light of the world? What he's telling them is that you, my disciples, are the city that Isaiah prophesied about. You're that. You're what he was talking about. When Isaiah spoke about a temple and a mountain, it turns out he was not describing a physical location and a physical structure. He was prophetically describing a people, a people who would gather as God's family and bear witness to the world. And And because of their witness to the world, what would happen? The nations would stream in, which is what we've seen happen in the church, isn't it? Jesus is actually being quite clear with his audience in Matthew 5.14. He is telling his audience that they are the beginning of what God is about to do in the last days. What he, uh, thanks Carol, what he is not saying, here's what he's not saying to his disciples. What he's not saying to his disciples in Matthew 5 is that they are a bunch of individuals who need to go do individual good deeds. This isn't what he's saying. Jesus is not just giving moral teaching here. He is forming a new kingdom community, a people around himself. A new people called to put on display collectively the love and grace of God by being an alternative community to the cultures of this world. And by so doing, he says, you will then be attractive. You will be a kind of light to the world, and people will, what? They will come in and up the hill and become a part of this people as well, right? I love the way one scholar uh, describes this passage. He says, disciples are a city on a hill in the in the Isaiah 2 sense, only if we invite and draw people of all nations up the hill and through the gates into an experience of shared eschatological community. Much as a neon sign of a hotel invites the weary traveler to rest, so is our light to be an invitation. Now, that word eschatological there is just a big theological word, so don't worry about it. It just means the end times people that Isaiah was talking about there. It means, it means the community that God ultimately wants to see. You see, it is the church's shared life. It is our shared life, our life together, our life as a Jesus community that shines the light of Jesus out into the world. All right? Our individual lights matter. They do. What we say and do as individuals out in the world matters. But it is when those lights are united together as a collective witness to the life and love of Jesus that we become a kind of neon blinking sign. Inviting weary travelers in our world to a place of rest in and through a relationship with Jesus as a part of his family. Jesus intends the church to be a place, intends the church to be the place where people meet him. 
which is why the church in Scripture is called the body of Christ or the bride of Christ, right? So that is what we're called to be. That's what we're called to be and do. But the question now is, okay, how do we do it, right? That's some kind of like big theological ideas about what the church is, you know, and what the 15 of us here this morning are called to be together. But how do we do it? What practically does living as a Jesus community that shines a light into the world look like? How do we actually do that? How do we push back the forces of our culture that is always trying to make us consumers, right, and individuals and uh, isolate us and create a sense of loneliness in our hearts? How do we push back against that? Especially during this time of COVID where we're more distanced from each other than we want to be, where much of our interactions, especially in public, is done with something over our face and it just feels like there's a lack of personal connection. It can be difficult, can't it? I believe the church is called to be the antidote to the ever-increasing loneliness to our world. I really do. And a church that shines the light of Christ is a church that is a kind of diverse web of interconnected, loving relationships where people feel that they are part of something bigger than themselves. This is ideally what a church is. And I want our church to recapture this vision, which is why I'm preaching this series of messages for the next four or five weeks. I want us to become a bastion of deep, loving relationships where people know that they are seen and known and accepted. This is what I want. So how do we get there, right? How do we get there? Here's the question. What practically do we do? Well, I have a few very simple, hopefully very simple ideas for you this morning. The first one is slow down. Slow down. I was reading an article in The Economist this week uh, where they spoke, uh, this article was about time poverty, right? About how many in our culture have all the money they need and they have all of the material goods that they need, but what they don't have is time, right? And our, our phones, right, the things that were meant to make our lives easier and more expedient have actually caused us to have a kind of lack of time because we play games or we look at social media or we, uh, we just kind of while away the hours, right? What we've, we've busy, in other, in other cases, we've busied ourselves to such a point that we just don't have enough time in the day. We've added and added and added things in, and we haven't subtracted enough to make space, to slow down, to invest deeply in relationship. And the call of Jesus is a call to, and I believe this in our time, slow down. I I read a book once that was called Slow Church, and I really liked it, right? We, We have to slow down, and we have to make space in our lives. We literally have to carve out space in our lives for relationship uh, for other people in the community of God. We literally have to carve out space in our life for church, right? Not just church on a Sunday, but the, the type of church where, where those relationships are like woven into our lives. We actually have to be proactive about it. In the same way we're proactive about saving our money or the same way we're proactive about what we eat. If, if we don't carve out space We will live in the midst of a kind of time poverty, and the thing that will fall by the wayside will be the community of God. It will. But if we prioritize that relationship and we slow down just enough, then we can find that that's what we prioritize, and that's where we find our life. So the first thing is just slow down. Slow down. The second thing is prioritize people. 
prioritize people. You know, it is easy to drift away from the church. It is. I'm a pastor. I see it happen all the time, and I see it happen with myself. It's easy to lose connection and step away, especially during this time, right, when we've been online for a period of time, and we had a break in September where two weeks where we were just online, and if you really want to, you can just watch the live stream, and right? It, it becomes very easy. It becomes very easy to not prioritize people. And what, what happens very often is that we don't prioritize the people of God. And so when we are, don't physically show up, what happens? We go a month or two months, three months without really engaging in this thing called the body of Christ. Now, this isn't to say, uh, this isn't to cast stones at anyone. It's just to say that if we don't prioritize relationship, this is the natural thing that will happen to us. And church will be kind of, church will just become a peripheral thing in our lives that we do on certain Sundays, rather than a people that we belong to. Now, the test for this is not how often we show up to church, right? I'm here every Sunday, but that's because... It's what, what, you know, it's the thing I do. It's the thing my family does. And I'm not overly concerned that people are here every single week. If I had my druthers, yes, I would make you all be here every single week, right? I would tie, and I would, <laughs> I would tie your feet to the chairs and you wouldn't be able to leave during the week. And you'd just, you'd just sit here and I'd come talk to you and it'd be great. But, uh, but the test is not whether uh, you're here every single week. The test is, even if you're not here on a Sunday, are you still involved in people's lives? Are you still a part of the church? That's the test. And if you're not here, and that brackets off the part of your life where you're a part of the body, then the chances are we haven't prioritized people enough, right? We haven't, we haven't woven the life of the church enough into the, our daily lives that we are a part of something bigger than ourselves, uh, an individual in our church comes up to me fairly regularly and apologizes when she's not at church. And the thing I say to her is the thing I say to most people if they ever apologize about not being at church. And what I say to them is, I don't care. As long as you're a part of us, right? I care if you miss church and you're not a part of us, right? Like, uh, that bothers me because then I can't, I, I can't connect with people. But if, if you're not here and you're a part of us, I, it's okay. It's, you know, because I know you'll be back, right? And I know you're a part of us. But if you're not a part of us and then you disappear, well, that, that's a problem, right? That's a problem. So we have to prioritize people. We have to prioritize people even when we don't want to prioritize people. And we have to carve out space in our lives for the people of God. We just have to. All right? So that's number two. I hope that wasn't too harsh. Was it too harsh, Judy? Okay, good. Let's, let's move on to number three. I'm often not accused of being too harsh, but I'm just making sure. Uh, number three, and I think this is the most important thing. God's love is not fully experienced until it's shared. God's love is not fully experienced to, until it's shared. The natural human impulse of all of us is to be like a sponge and just soak up the love of God, right? Just like, give me, give me all the love. I'm here for it. Just like, love me constantly. I'll, even let, I'll let God love me all day long. But the, the natural Im human impulse is to do that in a self-focused way. 
a just receive, receive, receive kind of way. This is our natural impulse for all of us. But we learn from the scriptures that the love of God is not fully experienced until we experience it for ourselves and then share it with other people. Here, I'll show you. In 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 8, this is what John says to his audience. Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who has been born of God and knows God, uh, everyone who loves, sorry, everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love amongst us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might have life through him, that we might live through him. So here's the thing. If I'm reading this right, the, the, the true sign that we have encountered the love of God in Jesus is, that, is not that we continually soak up that love. Rather, it's that we actively go and love other people, right? That's the sign that you've experienced the love and grace of Jesus. The sign that we have encountered the love of Jesus is that we love other people. That's the impulse. That's the natural response to somebody who's encountered the love of Jesus. And so, God's love, by extension, is not, we, we don't step into the fullness of what it is to experience the love of God until we step into a community of people who are actively working to both engage with the love of God through the presence of the Holy Spirit and then share that love with one another through the way that we care, serve, eat with people. That's what it is to be fully enveloped in the love of God, to be a part of the community of God. Is, is what it means to be fully known and fully loved by God. God's love is only a pale taste of what it can be if it's just me by myself in the woods, right? I'm not saying we can't encounter God's love there, and I do all the time. There's no woods around here, but you know what I mean. But that's just a pale taste of the love that God has in store for us when we experience it within the context of his redeemed community, of his kingdom people. That is the greatest expression of the love of God put on display in the world. And that is what the church is supposed to be. That is what the church is supposed to be. So, here's the challenge this morning. Let's be a community like that. Let's be a church like that, that actually learns to love other people, that actually serves as a kind of beacon of light in our community, blinking out, saying this is a place where you can experience the love of God because we are a community of love and of grace in this place. Let's be a people who deeply engage with one another in such a way as that we can experience the love of God more fully as we serve and love one another. Let's be a people who shine the light of Jesus out into the world, not just by virtue of our own moral upstanding behavior, but by the beauty of the kingdom, that we, uh, kingdom community that we are a part of. Let's be that type of church. Let's be that type of people. And as I said at the beginning of this service, because there's not many of us here today, let's pray together that that would kind of plant a seed in our heart that would grow, that would grow, and that would grow, and that more people could be folded into the beauty that is the kingdom of God, and that we would become a visible kingdom in our community here in the Cedar Valley.
Would you stand with me as we pray and as we go from this place this morning? All right, all right, let's pray. Father, we love you, and we thank you that you've given us this beautiful vision of what the church is. We know that the church falls desperately short of that vision. All the time, we're flawed and broken human beings, God. We know that we don't live up to that standard. We know the impulse in my heart to consume rather than to belong. And so, God, uh, we confess that to you, and we repent of that impulse this morning, and we pray above all that you would build us into that type of church, that you would build us into a spiritual house where your spirit can dwell, that you would build us into a, not just a church, but a community, a people of God who shine your light out into the world. And we pray uh, that all in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen and amen. All right. Well, thank you guys. It was good to be together. Uh, Go today in the grace and in the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ.